We've been in the book of Ephesians for the last several weeks, and I'm going to continue on with that study, and I'm going to, Lord willing, tackle uh, one of the largest chunks of Scripture that we've ever done in this particular study. It's actually a little over a chapter. And one of the reasons why I'm taking on such a large chunk of Scripture is because as I read that thing, I think if I had to give it a title, it's all about sanctifying yourselves. Now again, remember, we're talking about Ephesians that God chose, that God um, um, regenerated, that heard the gospel, that received the gospel, that reacted to the gospel, that got baptized and are members of a local church. And he's telling them to sanctify themselves. What he's doing in the next three dozen verses, if you're not paying attention, is going to sound like a bunch of rules and regulations. And the gospel is not a new set of rules and regulations to replace an old set of rules and regulations. That would still be the law. Amen? But we're going to read these things, and basically for these next 36 verses... Now, if you count them, I might be off one, but it's about there. These 36 verses, they're going to give guidelines for how we set ourselves apart. For instance, the first five verses, four or five verses, talk about these Ephesians saying you're going to be Christian Gentiles in the middle of a Gentile community. And you're going to look weird, The Bible word is peculiar, okay? You are going to conduct yourselves that sets you self apart. Then we go for the next four or five verses, and it's talking about putting off and putting on. Now, it's not talking about me putting the sport jacket on and putting off. It's not something material. What it is, it's behavior, attitude, speech. That's what we put off and put on. And when we do that, We will set ourselves apart, and we will not look like the world. The next four or five verses is talking about following Christ. When we follow Christ, we're going to choose a path consciously that is different from the culture. We're going to take the road less traveled. And when you take that road, you set yourself apart. And then you go to the next four or five verses, and it's talking about walking in darkness or walking in light, being alert, being astute, being transparent in everything you do. When you do that, you set yourself apart. So with that being ground, I just think it makes sense is take a big picture of these whole 36 verses in that regard about sanctifying ourselves. Okay, so that's kind of my introduction. Before we go, haven't done this in a while, let's take a quick little view of where we've been. This happens to be our eighth message from the book of Ephesians. We're looking at a lot of big pictures, but this is a really big one, and it says 14 there, but I should really have a 20, okay? If you remember the first half of Ephesians, chapter 1, God talked about all those blessings he gave us about being chosen before the world began, about being redeemed, about all the blessings that forgiveness of sins and being set apart and being accepted in the Lord. We see all those blessings that these Ephesian saints got. 
When we go to the second half of chapter 1, Paul offers up his first prayer for these Ephesians. And basically what that first prayer is, it's what I call a head prayer. He says, I pray that you can increase in knowledge and revelation and wisdom of Jesus Christ. Now remember, these are people that heard the gospel, believed the gospel, reacted to the gospel, got baptized, and he said, you need to grow in knowledge. This is this, okay? In chapter 3, he's going to pray a second prayer, and I believe what that second prayer is, I want what's up here to go down into here, okay? That's what I call a heart prayer. Chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, the first prayer is a head prayer. Chapter 3, the end of that prayer, was a heart prayer that you can know Jesus. And it's not this kind of know, it's know as an intimately, okay? But there we are. At the end of chapter 1, he offers his first prayer, and I call that a head prayer. Then we go to chapter 2, and chapter 2 is overcoming two hurdles, the Ephesians had to cover two hurdles. One was the genetic hurdle they inherited, they inherited from Adam. And the second hurdle they had to overcome was their race hurdle because they were Gentiles. Up until then, they had no access to God, no knowledge of God, and no communion to God in a formal sense of worship. So we looked at those two things. In the beginning of chapter 3, we looked at Paul's call to the ministry and his special calling. His calling was different than Peter's. And he was specifically called to go to the Gentiles. And that covers what that was entailed. I already talked about the end of chapter 3. That was that second prayer, the heart prayer. Then we would talk about last week. That was our seventh message. Our seventh message was talking about the unity we were supposed to walk in. And that's the oneness chapter. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, 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 one. Okay? So now we're going into the second half of chapter four, but when I read it, I couldn't stop at the end of four. I know I like my columns and categories, and I've gone two messages per chapter, but the Bible wouldn't let me do that. And I had to go all the way into chapter five to get that whole section and believe me, it's not a bunch of rules, okay? We don't do this to earn our way into heaven. We do this to say thank you for making our place in heaven, for securing that for us. That's why we do these things. We set ourselves apart to glorify our heavenly Father, and when we do that, people get a little bitty glimpse of what he looks like. So that's why we set ourselves apart. So with that being an introduction, let's go into it. Okay? I can't really start until I talk about this word sanctification because I really believe there's a lot of confusion when it comes to sanctification. The definition of the word means to set apart or to separate yourselves. Okay. I want to look at some what I call eternal sanctifications. Got it? In Jude 1, it says the Father sanctified us. What he did before the world was founded, he said, here is a group of people and I'm going to set them apart. That's the sanctification under consideration 
in Jude 1. In 1 Peter 1.2, it says the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. When the Holy Spirit comes down in the act of regeneration, he takes those people God set apart before the world began. He takes them apart and he changes them from a a dead person to a living spiritual person. He sets them apart in a living way. And that's the sanctification under consideration in 1 Peter 1.2. And there's the third one in Hebrews 10.10. When Jesus died on the cross, it says he sanctified us. Well, God already did setting apart before the world began. Holy Spirit already did in a new and living way. And Jesus sets us apart in a legal sense. When he died for us, we went from the guilty column to the innocent column. Okay? Maybe not innocent column. How about the redeemed column? Okay? Because we were guilty and our punishment was put on him. And then finally, there's one more setting apart, and that's when Jesus Christ comes back and he separates the goats and the sheep, and the sheep is going to be tanked up and scooped up and taken with him to heaven. So there's another yet sanctification. Okay, after talking about the eternal salvation, we, with all these things being done to us by the Godhead, act in a way that sets ourselves apart, and I just want to give you a couple. The first one is, in 1 Corinthians 1-2, when we join ourselves to a church, we set ourselves apart. Did you know the word saint is the noun form of the word sanctified? It is. That's what it is. So when you say, I want to get baptized, you set yourself apart from the world and say, I am now going to follow Jesus Christ. I am going to pictorially bury that old man and I'm going to walk in the newness of life, Romans 6. Which when you do that, you set yourself apart, okay? When you live in a way with sexual purity, you set yourself apart. It says, sanctify yourselves, avoiding fornication. When you take this temple that the Holy Spirit resides in and you say, I am not going to conduct myself in that behavior, you set yourself apart. Does that get you to heaven? No. What it does is says, Jesus bought this body and I'm going to set this body in apart and I'm going to honor this body because it's not mine, it's his. Well, that goes against American culture. So what? I am doing what's, his, what's right to his. I'm going to set that body apart. When you marry a God-fearing spouse, there's a sanctification in that. Okay? The word's used there a couple times. And then finally, when you depart from iniquity, you purge yourself, you sanctify yourself, you make yourself meet for the master's use. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to be greedy. I'm not going to covet. All you have to do is go to a first grade classroom and see a little boy that says, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Right? We used to call them apple polishers. No, we call them saints, sanctified persons. So we conduct ourselves in a set-apart way to say thank you, Lord. 
Okay, so that's what we're talking about, I believe, from Ephesians 4.17 to Ephesians 5.20. That's what we're going to look at. So let's go to Scripture, okay? We're going to look at these in chunks. Now, from now on, all you're going to see up here is Scripture. Either follow me along with me in my Bible or right here. It's all the, hopefully it's all the same. Okay, Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 21. I told you that there's these little sections about these descriptive ways which we set ourselves apart. Before I get too far, let me give you a metaphor. Deborah and I have been talking about this one all weekend long. <clears throat> At the end of Acts, Paul was on a, uh, a voyage. He was on a ship. And the ship got in the middle of a great big tempest, a great big storm. And it got sloshed around and beaten up for a long time. And I believe there's 276 sailors on that. And they finally get it crashed against the rocks. And they all ended up on the island and they all lived. Okay, you remember that story, that account? Well, when they got on the shore, they were wet and they were cold. And they got a great big bonfire. And what Paul did was, he's not too big for his britches. He went and got a pile of sticks. There's the Apostle Paul gathering sticks. And he got this pile of sticks and he was ready to throw it on the fire and there was a snake in the sticks. And the snake got a hold of him and went right into his arm. He lifted up his arm and there was a snake hanging from it and he went like this. He just flung it loose. And you know what he did? He kept on going and doing his work. And all the other sailors were watching him. What's he going to do? What's going to happen to him? My friends, that's our lives. Okay? We get snake bit all the time. People we love die. People we love say, I don't want you anymore. Children we love are rebellious. You can fill in the blank with anything. And you know what the world's doing? They're looking at you. What's he going to do? How's he going to respond? Well, he lost a wife. And he lost a little baby. They're watching. What's he going to do? How's he going to react? You going to do this and keep on going? That's part of it. That's part of it. So as I read this, someone tells a lie about you. You going to fall apart and melt down? Or are you just going to and move on? Okay? It's a metaphor. I realize it. But let's see if the metaphor sticks as we go through this next 36 verses. Okay? All right. Ephesians 4, verse 17. Notice the setting apart. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles. Does that sound like setting apart? Yes? You grew up in this culture? I didn't read the Bible until I was 26 or 27. I grew up in public college and I had roommates and we were fools. Okay? And when I started reading the Bible and I got baptized, my old roommates got really uncomfortable with me. You know what they call me? Well, let me the version I can say in the pulpit. They call me peculiar, okay? Walk not as other Western Michigan college students. Okay, can I do say that? Walk not as other Gentiles. Walk in the vanity of their mind. They had these vain thoughts and they just, whatever they thought they did. 
having the the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness in their hearts, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work in cleanness and greediness. They had become so used to just following their feelings that they just lived in lust. Whatever they wanted, they got. Or they tried to get. Okay? But ye have not so learned Christ. If so, be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, I want to make a point. This is the third time this kind of language has been used in this book. It's been used once in 2.17. It's been used once talking about the gifts that we just talked about in earlier chapter 4. You know, I talked about the gifts. Most people, when they read, talk about those gifts given, they say the gifts are the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors. And in a way, literal translation of that, I think they probably they are the gifts. But I think more importantly than those gifts is what all four of those offices had, and they had a message that Jesus came down to earth, became a man, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, paid that penalty, rose up again, conquered death, conquered sin, conquered the grave, and is coming back to get you. I don't care if it's an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, or a pastor. They're all telling that same message. So when Jesus was on earth, he told his disciples in chapter set, John 17, I gave them the words. In John 14, 15, and 16, he says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to teach them what to say. So I don't care if it came from Jesus directly. I don't care if it came from Jesus to the apostle to me. I don't care if it came from Jesus to the apostle to something written. And to me, it's still Jesus' message. It's like what we say with scripture. Did Paul really write this? Well, really, he was the stenographer, wasn't he? God wrote it. It's his message. So we got a message. Now, I say we, but we're really talking to the Ephesians. The Ephesians, you got the words of Jesus Christ. And with those words of Jesus Christ, you live by them. And that sets you apart. And when you follow them, that sets you apart. I hope we are a set-apart people. There was a time where I was at work and uh, someone was cussing pretty good. And finally they looked up and they saw me and they said, oh, you go to church. Well, in one way, I was glad they were uncomfortable talking like that in front of me. But in another way, I, I I was thinking like, okay, God can only hear you when a Christian's around, you know, like that. So, anyway. So, here's the passage, and I do believe this is talking about Gentiles that are converted, that are walking in a Gentile nation. You know what? You are Christians walking in a pagan nation. And simply choosing to follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, you're going to look different. And I pray you're strong enough to do that. Especially middle schoolers. Okay? Josiah, I wasn't. Okay? I pray you are. I admit, I wasn't. I went with the crowd. 
I wanted to look like everybody else. I wanted to dress like everybody else. I wanted to do the activities of everybody else. I wanted to wear my hair like everybody else. And please, I don't go to my mom's house and look at those pictures back then. I'll be so embarrassed. The first church I ever went to, the pastor came to my mom and dad's house. And he looked at the wall. His four graduation pictures. I got three sisters, and he looked at the pictures, and he says, oh, I love your four daughters. <laughs> True story, okay? <clears throat> if you didn't that, get that, I'll explain to you later. Okay, let's go to the next section of Scripture talking about being sanctified. The first one was, you're going to be Gentiles that are converted, walking into a Gentile community, and you're going to look different. Here's the put on, put off. We talked about this a little bit earlier. This is found in nearly every church epistle. This one's calling the new, some call it the new man, the old man. Some call it the um, um, carnal. Some call it spiritual, right? That's, 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 that's the language that's used. Okay, verse 22 through 27. That ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, now, when conversation is used here, we've talked about this before, this is talking about our manner of life. This is not simply the words. It includes the words, but it's much more than that. You put off concerning the former conversation, which is corrupt according to deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Does that sound like setting yourself apart? Sure does, doesn't it? When you put off one form of behavior and you put on a new form of behavior, a renewed in the spirit, and that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness, putting, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Think about this. We live in a society and I've been watching a couple of these later. I don't know if you're, I've been interested in some of these judicial nominees and you see the, um, the, the congressman interviewing the judicial nominees and they'll ask them a question as they're being in, interviewed for, for, for these, these justice positions. And there's this one senator named Kennedy from the South and he'll ask this candidate a question and the person will answer and he'll ask the question again. He says, I'm still looking for your answer. And he'll ask the question again. Can you please answer my question? And the person will say some words. I've seen one time where he asked the question six times. And he says, listen, I only got five minutes. Would you please answer this one of my questions? And, 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 and so evasive was the person. But you know what? There's nothing new. They did that to Jesus. Remember with what authority? And they said, well, if I answer this way, he's going to do this. If I answer this way, then I'm going to get in trouble. We don't know. That's not truth. Do you realize that if you live yourself in a way when someone asks you a question and you just flat out tell them, now I don't mean you have to beat them over a stick with it. You know, I think of your mom. Blunt was probably her middle name, or at least her maiden name. She was right there. Amen? That's what you're talking about. If you handle yourself, conduct yourself in that way, and someone, your yay means yay, your, your nay means nay, you're going to set yourself apart. This is what it's talking about. 
Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, take care of something quickly and don't brood about it. That's going to set you apart too. Neither give place to the devil. Okay? So what we just read is, here is a people sanctifying what God already sanctified. Think about what that says, right? What they're doing is setting apart what God already set apart. Amen? All right, let's go to the next section of Scripture. The next section, I'm going to read 28 through 32. This is about the, um, um, well, it's right there. Again, if, if you were simply reading this and not understanding what Paul was trying to do, you're just going to read it as a bunch of commandments. And it kind of reads like a commandment, right? But that's not what it's, its intentions are. Let him which stole steal no more but rather let him that labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. This is like the putting on and putting off. Put off stealing and put on working so you can give to somebody else. That's what it is. Verse 29, let no communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister to grace unto hearers. You put off the backbiting, the murmuring, the complaining, the misrepresenting, and you put on edification. Verse 30, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. There's a stamp of authenticity on you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. These are things you're supposed to put off. Why do I put them off so I can go to heaven? No, we put them off so we can represent Jesus Christ here on earth. So when people see us and our behavior, they see Jesus Christ. And when they see Jesus Christ, he is glorified. This is what you got to put on. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Do I have to? Yes. And quickly. And not like an elephant, right? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Why did he have to say that? Now I really feel guilty, don't I? I want to be forgiven like Christ forgive me. Amen? Okay, let's go on. Next section. Uh, now we're moving into Ephesians 5. I think the theme is still the same. We're moving from chapter 4 to chapter 5, but we're still talking about setting ourselves apart, separating ourselves from the world. We do this in a way when we follow Jesus. We do this in a way, okay? So verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us, <coughs> and offering a sacrifice to God a sweet-smelling savor. So I got to walk in God. I'm, I'm sorry, I got to walk in love. I got to follow God and I got to exhibit sacrificial behavior. But fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becoming saints. Not once. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting 
which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Brother Dolph, there's just too many commandments here. I can't keep all these. There was only one that could, amen? His name was Jesus. But we try. When the description of baptism in John 6, we put away the old man, what it says is that's a symbol. I am going to do my level best to bury that guy. This putting off and putting on, it's not a one-time event. It's crucify yourself daily. I almost want to go in my Bible and cross out that Bible and put minutely. Amen? See, you're happy again, Brother Greg. He loves when I make up words. But, but, but you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Verse 5. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater may have any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. In other words, I want you, this is what Paul's talking to these church members at Ephesus, not only I don't want you to be those people, I don't want you to hang around those people. Don't and get involved with them. That's part of not being unequally yoked. We think that's just a marriage thing. No, it's a friend thing. It's a business partner thing. Be not equally yoked. Do not even be partakers with them. Separate yourselves. But that means I'm judging. And you know what I say to that? Yeah, boy. I did this at the high school. Do you realize how silly life would be without judgment? Someone comes up to me. Mr. Painter, I'd like your daughter's hand in marriage. Boy, where do you go to church? I think you're being judgmental. Yeah, boy. You understand? Because I know a young man that's fearing God will be the best husband she could possibly have and submitting to his word completely. Anything else is substandard. Will I be judgmental? Yes, I will. But I better not hold him to a standard that I don't hold myself to. That's what Matthew 7 is all about. Okay. Okay, let's go to the next section in Hebrews 5. I'm not, not Hebrews 5, Ephesians 5, sorry. Okay, now this is talking about these Ephesians. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. When I hear something, I go to the Bible and I make sure it's true. I don't trust you. I don't trust... I hope my children don't even trust their father. Dad, are you sure? Can I have scripture? I hope you don't trust your pastor. I hope you say... Book, chapter, and verse. Prove what is acceptable in the Lord. Okay? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For 
for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore we sayeth, Awake thou that sleepest, and rise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. You know what? The Lord would have us circumspect. There's some um, qualifications for an elder, and one of those qualifications is vigilant. You know what vigilant is? It's aware. It's, it's, it's looking around, seeing everything that's going on. He would have us be vigilant. Okay? I know this big passage is the last section, chapter 5. Chapter 5, 15 through 20. Here's the words I was looking for. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools. Okay? Let's talk about that. I'm talking about walk disciplined. And when I'm talking about walk disciplined, that's everything. That's where you go. That's your emotions. I want your emotions. I want you to go with a perspective of everything. A fool goes with tunnel vision. I want this. I only want this. I want to consider my emotions. I want to consider my wife's emotions. I want to consider my children's emotions. A fool is only worried about my emotions, right? And when you walk yourself in a way that is just not about me, myself, and I, you're going to set yourself apart. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to your heart to the Lord. You're going to have discernment of the stuff that goes in here and here. Garbage in, garbage out, right? You are going to separate yourself when you are discerning over the material that goes into your head. Giving thanks always. Boy, that'll set you apart, won't it? Whining about what you don't have versus being thankful of what you do have. Always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's some pretty exciting stuff. Now, we need to set ourselves apart. How do we do that? Well, the first way we set ourselves apart is we say, you know, the Lord's done a mighty work in my life. And God's done a mighty thing by loving me enough to send his son. I'm going to try to live my life in a way. That's going to set yourself apart. So what do I do? Well, it says repent and be baptized. Now repent is just not saying I'm sorry. It's also saying I'm sorry, but it's also turning. Turning from your former way and turning to his way. So you do that. That's going to set yourself apart. When you get baptized, you go into the water and you trust a preacher to put you underwater with your clothes on and have him actually pull you up, you're going to set yourself apart. And when you take a job and come to a public audit place and you give thanks because you can come here on Sundays, that's going to set you apart. may even cost you a job. may even cost you a high-paying job. That's going to set you apart. Amen? When you speak the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and you don't fudge and you don't hide back, that's going to set you apart. When you discipline your emotions, when you discipline what goes into your brain and your eyes, that's going to set you apart. I pray the Lord will help us set ourselves apart, not to earn our way into heaven. We do it to say, thank you, Lord, for living that perfect life I could never do. 
and taking the penalty and paying the payment I could never pay and raising from the dead something that would never happen to me without you coming back and pulling me out. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I'm going to try to live my way life in a way that's set apart just to say thank you, Lord. So, with that being said, we're going to go next week into the, oh, no, I got next week off. Okay, we got the guest minister coming. Next two weeks from now, we're going to go into three areas of submission. Husband and wife. You want a godly Christian marriage? That's going to set you apart. Parent and child. You conduct yourself in a way that the Lord would have parents and child, children interact? Or are you going to go the world's way? That's going to set you apart. And the last one is employee and employer. You're going to have a jo- boss give you a terrible, dirty job? and you do it without grumbling, that's going to set you apart. So we're going to see a very practical way where we can set ourselves apart. And we might learn some practical things too as we go along. But I pray even more so, as we do these things, we get a picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, both in marriage and as a father and children and also his work. May the Lord bless you. Thank you.